You're listening to the Menopause Movement Podcast, and I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Gordon. If you haven't taken advantage of the Menopause Movement beta course yet, sign up at menopausemovement.com forward slash hormones. We offer this $500 beta course at no charge to you in exchange for feedback and testimonials. Now, we normally require a lengthy application to join the course, but because you're a podcast listener, you can skip the application, go straight to the front of the line and get started on the material. Now, if you've always wanted to understand your hormones and manage your menopause naturally, this program is definitely for you. We just simply ask for feedback and testimonials so that we can improve the course to help more women. Just go to menopausemovement.com forward slash hormones to sign up for this program so that you can start to step out of that minnow muck that has kept you stuck. I'm excited to welcome Chris Revis to the podcast today. Chris helps parents of autistic kiddos easily create a calm, predictable life with the best futures for their kids. He has a Harvard certification for this. He's one of 220 that have it, and he helps others as well as serving his own kids with this approach. He's an author, sought after speaker, and also has 30 years as a leader in the tech industry. He lives in the Pacific Northwest with his wife, two kids, and Penelope the Wonder Dog. Now, some of you are still raising children, and some of you may find that applying these principles to your children or your grandchildren can change your relationships for the better. I sure wish I had these skills when my son was little, but it's never too late to start. During the podcast, we talk about Chris's story and how helping parents of different children became his passion. Talk about the definition of conventional parenting and how it doesn't really work with neurodivergent children. What a skill gap difference is and why that matters. Fight, flight, and freeze as a coping mechanism for your children. The importance of knowing the intention of your child and finding empathy for your child's situation in the moment. Your child's experience uh, as a starting point for managing their behaviors. The role curiosity plays in getting to the bottom of your child's behavior. The importance of involving your child in the solution to the problem and how to do that. How to get your child to listen to you almost every time. And stay to the end to find out about the RAD protocol and how you can start a Applying this right now. At the end of the episode, visit drmichellegordon.com forward slash podcasts, where you can find the show notes, plus the links to the books and resources mentioned in the episode. And if you enjoy the episode, subscribe to the podcast. So you're always the first to know when each episode is released. You can subscribe on Apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And please review the podcast. If you haven't yet, what are you waiting for? Take the time to review the podcast so that more women can find it. More reviews help more women find it and get the help they need during the disruption of menopause because no one should have to go it alone. And thanks so much for being a part of the menopause movement. Now let's get to Chris. Chris, welcome to the Menopause Movement Podcast. And you're one of a handful of men that we've had on this podcast. And I'm super excited to have you here today because many of us in midlife and menopause, you know, we're done raising our kids or, you know, we may have had kids when we were older. And so we may have some preteens that we're dealing with and stuff. Right. And some of those preteens may have maybe on, you know, what we call the spectrum or, you know, have some sort of learning disable or learning difference or, or may think differently. And what I think is really valuable about what you offer is you help people to connect with their different child. And so what I'd like to do is if you could just give us a little bit of an introduction, tell us how you got into this and uh, we'll take it from there. 
Yeah, sure. Thanks so much for having me and honored to be here. So I came about this in sort of a, a backwards way. And sometimes that's how all the best things in the world happen. I have a 30 year degree in technology. So doing IT and coding and that sort of thing. But I also have two kiddos on the spectrum and mm. going through figuring out, right? As a parent, you do everything you can to serve your kiddos and to create some certainty in their life and yours. And I came upon this um, approach and I used it and I, and I used a bunch of other things that worked for me and my family. And I realized there's not really like a package out there that, hey, if your kid is on the spectrum, here's some things you can try with some known results. There's lots mm -hmm. of things out there. There's lots of therapies and medications, but um, there's not like a full package or someone that says, oh, I get it. And let me help you out. So that's the first part. And, and if I may, just from a personal part, the reason I pivoted to this was um, I just grew up with a mom that taught me to serve people. And I feel best when I'm serving and helping people. And my mom passed a few years ago, but I, I feel it in my blood. I feel it in my hands, my heart when I'm doing this. So I'm just, I'm like called to do it. And um, I've been able to get great results with the families I'm serving. So I'm just going to keep doing it. Yeah, I love that. And it's it's really interesting because when we talk about purpose and it, menopause can be such a time of disruption and, you know, even... I like to say maybe an existential crisis, at least it was for me, and it is for a lot of the women that I serve. And for me, I, I left a pretty great career as a surgeon to start serving women in menopause. And it's just so much more aligned with who I am. And so finding something that makes you feel aligned and, and something that you want to do every single day is so, so, so important to creating a life that you love. Right. So I think that's great. Yeah. Thank you. So let's talk about conventional parenting and what that means. Yeah, totally. So most of us grew up with, and this isn't a beat up on the parents, everything was doing the best they could, but most of us grew up with a, what I'll call a punishment reward scheme or uh, right or wrong, or boy, if there's just more discipline and just more consistency, our kids would act better. It's just kind mm -hmm. of like what we come with, right? It's just our family of origin tells us that's the way to parent. And what I learned, and I, I grew up with that too, and my, I love my parents and they met well and they just did the best they could. But the science shows something very different, especially for kids in the spectrum or with ADHD. Mm -hmm. Their brains, they were just born with, I like to say the wheelchair is on the inside, you can't see it, but mm -hmm. their coping skills are just different. It's a skill gap difference. And because of that, they'll go to fight, flight, freeze and kind of stay there. It's diff more difficult for them to get out of that. And, and what the brain shows and what I learned from really smart people that know this is when we're in fight, flight, or freeze, we're in a primitive brain and our prefrontal cortex, where all the reasoning and problem solving and all that beautiful stuff happens is off. It's like a light switch and literally electric, there's no electricity there. So mm. we're supposing as parents, we can talk to that part, but, it, but it's off. And until we kind of meet them where they're at and build up their skills, they're not able to get to a place for us to to use those techniques, right? That, that we know and love. So it's just, it's a couple like two millimeter shifts and how we approach our kiddos that give way better results than just this constant fighting or adversarial relationship. I love that two millimeter reference. And, and I've heard that before, you know, plastic surgeons will say, you know, I moved everything two millimeters and it makes you look so many years younger. <laughs> sure. And, and uh, Tony Robbins uses it and he talks oh, about okay. two, two millimeters and how a two millimeter shift can can mean the difference in in your life in everything. Yeah. From a personal standpoint, yeah, you know, my son was born normal, but then had radiation and chemotherapy at 21 months to save mm. his life from a cancer. 
And I did not have the skills to parent him appropriately as his brain was then damaged by the treatment that kept mm. him alive. And it wasn't until, gosh, I would say he was in his 20s, really, that I had the communication skills to understand why he just wouldn't respond. Right. And I, I remember I have a distinct, a few years ago, we went to Provincetown in, in uh, Massachusetts and, and we go there every year. We spend a couple couple weeks there at the end of the summer. And I remember we were standing outside of our restaurants before the pandemic. And I said to him, I said, you know, honey, I said, I'm really, really sorry that I didn't have this skill set when you were a child because this, this does help. I mean, because he just gets to a point where he just, you know, we say he gets his horns twisted mm-hmm. and, you know, he's 27 years old now, but he's still, you know, he's still growing up. And he gets his horns twisted and it's just impossible to try and he, you can't reason with him. You can't get through to him. You just have to wait it out and just say, all right, come back when you've come through that. Right. And, and now that I've got that skill set, it's, it's, I, I don't take it personally. I know that he's just being him and doing the best he can with the right. brain that he has, you know, been gifted with. And so when it comes to autism and ADHD, what, what are the big differences? I mean, you know, you have two kids who are on the spectrum. Right. I'm sure you know, you've worked with parents who have kids who are on the spectrum and, you know, who aren't on the spectrum. And so what what are the expectations? Because again, most of the time, most of the people who are going to be listening to this, most of the women who are going to be listening to this are probably not going to be having children that they deal with directly, but they're going to be dealing with grandchildren. Sure. Yeah. I mean, a few things. One is, and I think you said it so well, Dr. Gordon, the, it's not intentional, right? The kiddo's not trying to be defiant or any of those other things. And really, if you can see a picture of what's going on in their brain, they're probably petrified. It's probably a fear thing that's coming out as upset, anger, whatever those things are. And what the brain scans show is a stressor's come into this kiddo. They don't have the skills. So it's a skill gap. It's not a will gap. Mm-hmm. They don't have the skills to handle that stressor and they go to fight or flight. And, and stay there. And it might not be a stressor you or I would experience, but for them, it's, it's as much as a bear in the room, right? Or whatever that fight flight would be. And they can't naturally get out of it. It's not like telling a kiddo to get over it. Uh, they, they can't, or they would. right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so what's, what we've learned and what the protocol I work with shows is empathy, uh, really meeting where their kiddo, where they're at. So if they say Thor's in the room, instead of arguing with them or calling him a liar or the things that we might do naturally as parents or our go-to is, boy, that must be really scary to have Thor in the room. What's that like? Mm-hmm. And just that little two millimeter shift and acknowledging that they really are experiencing Thor in the room. They're not lying to you. Calms them down, calms you down as a parent. And then you can begin to, over time, build up that neural fabric. So they have, you know, out of their 100 billion connections, sorry, 100 trillion connections they have in their brain, they can have a different path. Instead of fight, flight, freeze, they might have a way over time doing this empathy and having them solve their own problem. They're going to build resiliency that they wouldn't normally. Sure. And, and traditional parenting just doesn't do that, right? It's, it's not about building the kiddo up. It's a little bit more about right, wrong, and control versus how do we build resilience and um, how do we build the kiddos problem solving capabilities? Yeah, no, I love that. Um, and children is a general rule, right? It doesn't matter whether they have a, a neurotypical brain or, or a different brain. Right. They don't have the experience to filter their, their actual, you know, whatever the trauma is or whatever the, whatever the, the act is that they're in, whatever right. they don't have, they don't have that experience. And, and then, to to see what it really is. And, and what we can do as adults, we can look back at an, at an event that happened to us as a child and kind of reprogram our brains to make it not so traumatic, right? That's, Absolutely. that's, that's a great skill set to have as an adult. 
The problem is, is when it comes to somebody who has a learning dis- difference or has mm-hmm. a, a brain wiring difference, they need more repetition and they need, they need safety. Right. And they need to know that, that no matter what they do, it, it's going to be safe. Right. No matter what they love. do, it's yep. going to be safe. Yeah. Yep. And, and so where, where do you, so let's, let's say you, you know, I'm the parent or the grandparent of a child who throws a lot of tantrums because right. they just don't understand their environment. Yeah. The couple of things that one is to get incredibly curious, pretend like you're a CSI investigator. And when does that happen? So go behind the behavior, the behavior we all notice, and that's easy to talk about. What's more important is get the antecedent or whatever that is and super specific. Like not my kiddo always does this, but like last night before dinner, when we put the iPad away, something came up, right? Kind of that specific. And when we have the conversation with the child later, when it's not heated, it it really should go something like this. Hey, hey, buddy. Hey, darling. Whatever, whatever's natural for you. You're not in trouble. Can we talk about something? They say yes or no. Hmm. And then you bring up the event, but not the behavior because the behavior will be triggering and they can get to your point unsafe. And then, then we really hear them out. And, and sometimes there's nuggets of information here that we don't expect. I was working with a family this week, um, their kiddos on the spectrum, didn't want to go to the sporting activity that he's done a lot and is really good at. And the parent was wanting them to go because, you know, this is a great opportunity and everything else. And they were able to get to empathy with the kiddo. And he just wanted to bring this lunchbox that was really special to him that he used to get to bring. That was the issue, right? And, and they wouldn't have gotten there likely with command control, we're going to do this or else. But just that little tiny shift and just spending a little time hearing him out, they discovered he wanted to bring his lunchbox and they went skiing and had a great time. That's so um, great. Yeah, it's awesome. And I, I have tons of those little stories that it seems really simple. We just forget as, as parents sometimes that just like you said earlier, we've got decades of coping skills and a fully formed brain and our yeah. kids just aren't there yet. Um, yeah. yeah. So so that's that's really good. And how how do you how do you deal with the parent who is freaking out because they're late and the kid won't get dressed or the kid won't you yeah. know do do what you know what needs to happen in a in a certain amount of time and then they're going to be late to work and yeah. you know all of those things and these are these are real stressors these are oh real yeah things. and and yeah. in morning routine and night routines are are any yeah. routines are a big deal so the the first thing I do when I work with parents is help them understand what the lagging skills inventory is mm. and just help them get the mindset on. It is hard. It's exhausting as a parent to, to do this. Um, so just giving them empathy as well, but also walking them through here, are the lagging skills that are there and helping them be aware of that, that it's a skill gap, not a will gap. And then helping them understand how to structure a conversation with their kiddo about this uh, in a way that's non-threatening in a way that really gets everything out there. Sure. And then having their kiddo solve the problem. And again, you have to agree on what that solution is, but building up that fabric for your kiddo is huge. And usually what we do are these punishment reward charts. And if you do this five times, great, you get a smiley face and it's all well-intentioned, but the gotcha is for neurotypical kids, that's relatively easy for kids on the spectrum. Um, there's studies that show they'll just being presented that they'll freak out. Mm-hmm. Because they know they can't get there naturally yet. They don't have the skill yet built up to get there. And so they'll get really sad because they're trying really hard. That's that's the trick is I think we assume as parents that they're not trying. Yeah. And it's quite the opposite. They're probably trying harder 
than than some kids. They just aren't able to get there yet. So you know, there's there's no um, silver bullet solution here, but hearing the kiddo out, going after the problem to be solved and not the behavior and having them solve that problem that's agreeable, just that pattern pretty quickly changes the whole dynamic. And, and yeah. some of that too is you might soften your parental expectation. You might, you know, maybe the teeth can be brushed on the way to school in the car. Maybe there's some little things like that, that you're willing to give on because really you want peace in your family. You want that thing done. You want to be able to get to work. Uh, but you may need to loosen up some of those parental expectations just a little bit. Yeah, that's that's really good. And and it's really funny because one of the things that I stumbled across with my son was, and, and what I've told people who've worked with him, I mean, he lived in an assisted living facility until the pandemic, and then I brought him home mm-hmm. because he's got some medical issues and I just wanted to take care of him. But one of the things I, I would say to the staff at the at the facility was like, look, it has to be his idea. If it's not his idea, he's not going to take any action. Right. And so I, 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 when I started, when I took a, a questions-based approach with him, mm-hmm. so why, you know, what caused you to do this and what can, what can you change in the future or what, what is the next step or what is something that you can do or how can you, then, then he almost always comes to a solution that works for everyone. Awesome. And, and, and that's, that was, that was a big change for us. And the other thing is that trying to get under, underneath his motivation. And, you know, he's been home since March and he had a lot of free reign. He would, you know, go walking a couple of miles every day and whatnot. And he was sleeping a lot. I mean, just, he was sleeping a lot. So we said, mm. well, maybe he's depressed. And so my wife says, let's, let's get him, let's get him a personal trainer and have him work with a personal trainer a few times a week. And I'll, it, I, out of that now he's like i'm getting stronger and i feel better and you know he puts it on his calendar it's something to look forward to and and so i think i think it's really important that that just like us yeah we need we need things to look forward to we have to help our children find those things that light them up and help them look forward to life right yeah very well said absolutely yeah. yep so you you put in your in your you know outline here that how to get how to always have your kids listen to you, which I think is like a that's even though there may not be, you know, when it comes to parenting, you know, a different child, there may not be a, you know, all any one size fits all answer. If you're saying how to always get your kids to an, to, to listen to you, this this could be the magic bullet for just about any parent. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's uh, I, I promise it'll move the dial, right? I yeah. and it's it's like the number one thing I get asked by parents is my kid won't listen to me. So for any any human being, we have in general three ways that we like to learn. And we'll have a primary way and then some secondaries. And those are visual, auditory, and kinesthetic. Most education, even with online, is auditory. Most valedictorians are auditory, not a surprise. Most kids on the spectrum, if you look at the data, tend to be kinesthetic. They like to learn with their hands, they move around, or visual, they like to see something happen first or have a very precise order, A, B, C, D, and they can't go A to Z. So it's very difficult if we're visual or kinesthetic, someone's talking at us, even another adult, we're basically creating a picture in our head or movements in our body to translate that. And then we can make meaning of it. So there's a Mm -hmm. lot of work going on that's there. And one just simple things, again, um, that two millimeter thing. um, If your kiddo's kinesthetic, which my son is, if I gently put a hand on, on my son Cooper and say, hey, buddy, can you do da-da-da? That's a totally different result than 
yelling across the room, hey, can you put water on the table for dinner? And it's because I'm honoring and knowing what his learning modality is, which is kinesthetic. And it's just simple. I don't have to, you know, hand motion words out to him, but um, he'll hear it much, much more. So part of it's meeting your kiddo where they're at, knowing their learning Mm -hmm. modality and their language gives it away or their behavior. If your kiddo says, I see what you mean, big cue, I hear what you mean. Auditory is easier in the sense that we normally give commands and and request auditory. And kinesthetic, it's tough when kids are younger because they all are wiggle worms. But if if the kiddo's wiggling a lot or moving a lot or likes to do Legos an awful lot and can do that and talk, that's kind of a cue. I've seen magic with my own family and others, just like the hand on the back or whatever is natural or comfortable with the kiddo. Um, them responding way more. And it's a comfort to them. If you're kinesthetic, having touch like calms you down mm-hmm. uh, and, and it helps you get in a, in a comfortable state. So um, that's it. The other part is just the empathy part is making sure we're hearing our kiddos out and really knowing where they're at. So I guess that's a fourth, but done together, almost you know 70 to 80% improvement in all the families I've served by just those little tweaks. That's amazing. So how does this, so let's say, let's say I, I'm, you know, I've got a chaotic home. I, my kids, you know, I'm always yelling at my kids or whatever, and I can't get them to do anything. Yeah. What is my first step to try and, you know, calm this down and get some control over my life and, and stop having, you know, modeling this behavior that I really don't even want them to have? Yeah, that's great. Um, boy, in a nutshell, I mean, The first part, and I've been there in my past, at least partially, is just knowing that you don't want it to be that way. So, I mean, you know, acknowledging that I don't want to feel angry and upset at my kids all the time and there's got to be something different and and choosing a different path. Um, I think it's getting educated on what works for for you as a parent. And I wouldn't be as arrogant to say like my approach, there's many approaches at work um, out there that work with your family. So, you've got to identify with what gels with you. But Mm -hmm. I would suggest there's lots of great books out there, but knowing how, really knowing how the brain works at a super high level, you know, all your senses come in and your reticular activating system routes things and you have an amygdala, just like the basics of that. So you know what you're working with right on the other side. Right. Well, so what do you think is the best is the best starter book for something like that? Oh, wow. When things are that contentious, because it, it takes steps to get there, right? It's, it's common oh, I things. Mean, that- I mean- to the brain. To understand yeah, for the brain. I, I like the book uh, Changeable by Dr. Stuart Ablon. Okay. Um, he's, he's from Harvard. He's the chair of child psychiatry there. It's really practical. It's an audible. There's some really fun examples in there too. Um, for those that read it, uh, the tinfoil example is one of my favorites in the beginning. Okay. Um, there's a patient that that wanted to wear a tinfoil on his head. He was dealing with a bunch of issues. So the FBI wouldn't put ideas in his head. And instead sure. of arguing and fighting with him, they let him do that under a ball cap. And he went to every session, he went to medication, he got his meds and he got better because they allowed, they met him where he was at. He was afraid of this and still telling him wrong. You shouldn't be afraid. That's not true. Let's just pretend it's true for a moment for him. Right. And let's help him out. And then he got help. So I think, I think that's really important even for us to look at how belief shapes our reality. Mm. And that, that if I believe that putting tinfoil under my cap is going to make me better. Yeah then the, you know, that's, what's going to make me better. Right. Yeah. And, yeah, and eventually, yeah. <laughs> and eventually I may, I may get to a point where I don't think that, but, but I think it's so important because we start to develop beliefs about our environment, uh, st- probably starting around age four. Mm-hmm. And 
because of the nature of how things work, we, we, we interpret, especially as little children, we interpret events as our responsibility. So my parents got divorced. That's my fault. Right. My, you know, my, my, my mom died. That's my fault. Uh, you know, my mom spanked me because I spilled milk. You know, there's just so many things. And then what happens is, and this happens to neurotypical people too. We just pile these beliefs on. And then before we know it, we've got these, we've got these sentences that repeat in our heads right. that say, that say, I'm bad. I'm no good. I can't do this. I have to ask permission, all these things. And so if this is how a neurotypical brain works, imagine the different, when somebody has a wired, you know, a different wiring right? that, that they have to go from, you know, they, instead of going from A to B, they may go A to D to B to not, you know, to nine. <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. And and so and so it's I think that's where it's so important for us to have empathy. But what do you what do you do for those parents who whose children may not be that communicative and they can't yeah. talk back to you? It's more challenging and that's a, a part where I would hand that off to someone else that's way more skilled, right? If they're okay. nonverbal, that's a whole different tactic. I do know people that work in the children's hospital here in Oregon where I am mm-hmm. um, that are super skilled at that and they can use visual cues and a variety of other things and I think too there, they do quite a bit of work to make sure there's not something physical with their ears as well. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they're together. Um, so I don't have any, uh, you know, most of the families, actually all the families I work with, their kiddo can communicate at least some okay. um, verbally and, or give feedback visually um, with what's going on. So that's, that's not a skill I'm super skilled at, but I know mm-hmm. folks who are. Yeah, that's great. Uh, I, I think that's awesome. So all right. So now we've we've got awareness of our state and we know that yeah. this isn't what we want. Yeah. But we're still in this situation where the kids aren't doing what we're asking. Right. And so what's our next step? Now we're so aware of we're aware of what we want. Yeah, the the protocol that I use, I call it the RAD protocol. So the first part is empathy. And if we do nothing nothing else, um, we stay in empathy. A lot of uh, folks want to get to the finish line and get to the end and get the results. And that's very, you have to be careful with the brain because you really want to meet your kiddo where there's at, where they're at, mm-hmm. get them out of that fight or flight. And then you can have the conversation around problem solving. So lots of micro doses of empathy and getting really curious about when these events are happening and focus on the event, not the behavior. And then there's, there's three choices. There's um, what's called plan A. So that's really your command control, my way or the highway. Um, there's a place in time for plan A that's healthy. When your kid's jumping out of a window, it's, you're going to grab them, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, when kids are really young, we do a lot of that. Don't touch the fire, right? So there's no good, bad, right, 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 wrong. But in general, our percentage of planning as parents is probably bigger than is going to move us forward. Um, plan B is where you do that empathy state. You make sure the child feels known and, and understood. And then you share their parental concern which is really short. This is a thing where parents, we don't talk much. We don't talk over Mm -hmm. our kids. So it's my concern is safety. My concern is, you know, kind of one or two words. And then the kiddo solves the problem. So, Hey buddy, you understand what's going on for me. I understand what's going on for you. How do we solve this? And um, they'll have some really wild ideas, which you would just acknowledge and smile and you agree in what the one is to solve. But that pattern done over time has lasting results. It mm-hmm. does build up the resiliency in the kids. It does build up the fabric. Parents will calm down. Um, the, the last plan, there's A, B, and there's C. C is if something's really hot, um, we're not in the right minds. The kiddo's not in the right mind. Don't. It's not the time to solve it, right? You're not going to resolve in that state. Neither is your kid. 
So you sideline it, you make a conscious strategic choice. This isn't a pushover and get away with it's, Hey, you know, this isn't okay, but we're going to talk about it tomorrow. Just like that. And one thing that does is actually does build relationship. You're acknowledging that something's happening and you're going to talk about it later instead of blowing up. And that gives a skill to your kiddo too. Like if something's really overwhelming to them, they don't have to deal with it right that moment, right? They now have a pattern where they can sideline that and come back to it. And for kids on the spectrum, that's hard. It's all at once, all the time. Um, a lot of times there's RAS damage where like you walk in a crowded coffee shop and you experience the espresso machine and all the people and the music and all the noise at once as a, like a wall. And that's hard, right? I, I could not imagine what that's like, but that's very true for kids on the spectrum and ADHD is mm -hmm. their filters not quite working. And so it's a wave that hits them all at once. Mm -hmm. Right. So as, as we're empathetic, we learn that we, we know it's not intentional and we find ways to kind of help build that skill up. Like maybe for me with my son, he squeezes my hand three times. That's what we worked out. And it's his idea when he's afraid. So he doesn't have to be embarrassed that he's afraid with his friends around. He can just grab my hand and squeeze it three times and we can do something right. Instead of yeah. him no, fearful of blowing up. That's, that's amazing. And so now, now he he's in control of the situation. Right. And he's come to you that he, to someone he trusts to say, you know, help me. Right. You know, right. Which, I love that. Yeah. I wish as a neurotypical person, I wish I had that skill as a, as a kid, right? Oh, right, I can for go sure. for help. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so what, what role do you think things like this, this play in, uh, Oh, the spinning toys. Yeah. There's a fit, the fidget spinner. Yeah, so I anybody who's watching, you know, yeah. You know, um, they're probably overdone. And I feel sorry for the teachers that had those in their classrooms. But at the same time, you know, kids on the spectrum and kids that need to move and wiggle, like how do we accommodate that and have that be okay in a way that's not distracting to other kids, right? Um, and it's that's a difficult one. In a big classroom where you have 40 kids and everyone's trying to listen and do that. Um, I don't know that that's the best tool. I guess that's my short answer in, in the okay. case of a classroom, right? Because it can distract other kids. But there's other things like clay or weighted blankets or other things that aren't as distracting that acknowledges that kiddo needs something to, to do. But I, I do, I guess it's really looking at the kiddo and the situation and what makes sense. Yeah. Um, instead of yet, yet another device, right? No, I like that. But you know, the problem I have with, with the, the rampant diagnosis of ADHD in, yeah. in, our, in, our, in America, especially in America's children, is that, you know, kids need to move. Kids right. need to run their energy out. And, you know, if you watch a child from about, I would say about two and a half until they're about five, everything is, well, why is that? And what's this? And, and the right. explosion of language. But then on top of that, there's just all this wiggly stuff that they do. Yeah. And then we try and take them to teach them how to work at a factory. Right. Exactly. And right. That's, <laughs> that's the problem I have with the American, uh, you know, the American method of, of education and why my son, when he was, when he was younger, I had him in Montessori because, you know, sure. those kids at least get to do whatever they want and they get to choose what, you know, what kind of education they have and stuff. And, and it, it, it just bothers me that, that what we're trying to do is teach, teach our children how to follow a factory schedule yeah. when factory jobs are really, you know, not even there much anymore. That's a great point. Yeah. Sit yeah. still and, and listen and behave and all plan A type stuff in those three plans. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that the, the, the best types of education are the ones where children get to make choices along the way. And of course, you know, we've got to teach them things that there's basic things that, that people have to learn, but gosh, at the same time, I mean, you know, why, why do we have to teach them to respond to a bell?
And why do we have right. to ask permission for everything? You know, just to to be able to to relieve our bodies of of excess, you know, right. solids and liquids. I mean, it's just it's crazy. <laughs> it is. You know, it, it really is. And so I don't love that about it. So what I, the last thing I wanted to talk to you about before we before we end this is mm-hmm. you put in your outline here. Remember how old kids are and their capabilities. And can you just explain that a little bit? Yeah, sure. So and and you I think alluded to it just a little bit earlier is. Yeah. We're born with about 86 billion neurons and over until as we get from zero to 25, we grow our connections. So we have the same number of brain cells, same number of neurons, but we go to about hundred trillion connections, but we don't have those all at age five or six. And as you talked about earlier, if we remember back when we were five or six, there were some things that were really scary or frightening or exciting then that, that aren't now. And we can forget that as adults, we have decades mm-hmm. of coping skills. We have a fully formed brain. Uh, most days. <laughs> and and we're relating to our kiddos like they're another adult versus, you know, I'm my job is to build up my kiddo and also acknowledge where they're at. And this isn't some parents and especially men in general will go to, I'm losing my control, which is not accurate, but that's a fear that, that yeah. particularly men will have for whatever reason. I'm not sure why we have this culture of anger in the men, but I was guilty of that too, but it's not that, right? It's It's, you want to build your kid up and have them be successful for life. And be super resilient. And if they're that way, you're not going to have the fights that you're having now because those are about different things. Those are about command control, right, wrong. Um, and everyone loses in those versus I'm building you up and you're going to have resiliency and you're probably not going to have the issues you had. So there are all these different stages of development. Um, kids on the spectrum, kids with ADHD can look like they're a few years um, younger and their socialization through no fault of their own, it's just the skill set. But educationally, they may be really far along. And that's why it's awkward because it'll look like it's a smart, quote unquote, normal kid. And then there's a blow mm-hmm. up. Yeah. So it's, it's just remembering that's going on. It's remembering their age. Like, what were you doing when you're five, six, seven, eight, nine, if you can even remember and what scared you and kind of starting there, like take 30 seconds and like, oh, okay. At nine, I was afraid of riding a bike and swimming because these things happened and they were really small things and I got over it, but those were scary then. And so if my mm-hmm. son who's nine is scared about something. Maybe it's, it's not the same, but I can relate a little bit and go, Oh yeah, that was, that was a freak out moment at nine. I thought I was going to explode. Right. Yeah. You know, it's, it's so funny. I I think that, that it's, it's important for us to remember that humans don't come with a, an instruction manual and we have, (laughs) we have this, this, this whole like part of us that is feeling and we are never taught unless we have really, really competent parents, we aren't taught what that means to have feelings. Right. And the feelings are really what's going to help to drive our behavior because we want to move toward what feels good and move away from what feels bad. And so if we can understand that when our child is tantruming, it's because they're really trying to move towards something that they feel good about and they're not getting their way, or they're trying to avoid something that's bad. I think that that can help us with our empathy. It's a great point. Yeah, it's uh, and most times, just like you said, it it's really often the kid is scared to death about something. It comes yeah. out as anger or upset, or whatever, but they're they're in a fearful state usually in that fight, flight, or freeze, and don't know how to get out of it and don't know how to tell you yet. Right. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly right. And that's our role, right, as the coach, the parent slash coach, to right. kind of help them to see what's going on and say, well, you know, try and get them into some feeling words. Right. And and what that does to us is it makes us really have to acknowledge and confront our own feelings and maybe even some right. of our own fears as children yep. as we were and growing it, up. 
Yep. And like, just like you said, they're not a factory worker in your house either, right? They're, yeah. they're a lovely human being. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So was there anything else you were hoping to share today? No, this was great. I, yeah, um, right. I'm really excited about this work and, and how successful it's been. And anytime in my own life, I catch myself, like if I'm getting angry or upset, or there's some really, I'll call it gnarly events this week in our world, it reminds me if event or stressor happens that I don't know how to deal with. And I kind of freak out or I, I'm sad or I clam up. I'm like, that's exactly what my kid was going through. Yeah. Right. And so what works when I'm in that state is someone being caring and hearing me out or, or doing something, doing something physical or drawing or whatever. I'm like, well, of course that's what the kiddo needs. Right. And we just forget that we have all these coping skills until something blows up. And we're like, ah, what do I do? <laughs> what is it? What is it? Mike Tyson says, everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face. Right. <laughs> you know, and, but, but it's so important for us to understand that the the awareness is this first step and so if it, it, the awareness is the first step to any sort of ch behavior change and so it's right. really important for us to as we're trying to change our behaviors to change the behaviors of our children we have to treat ourselves with empathy and respect too and and not get down on ourselves for falling back into old behaviors because remember how the brain works is the brain wants consistency and right. it's going to move toward those things that we always think about. And sometimes when we want to change, what we have to do is change the sentence in our head. And that starts with us, especially if we have a, a, a special child. Right. So where can people find you? Uh, youfromhome.com is my website. Y-O-U. Y-O-U-F-R-O-M-H-O-M-E.com. Okay. Um, you'll find me on Instagram and um, Twitter as well if you look for that and right. Facebook. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Chris. I really appreciate you being a part of the menopause movement today. Hey, it's my honor. Thanks so much. Right. Have a great rest of your week. Thank you. Did you know that menopause is not a medical condition? Most doctors don't know this either. I like to say that menopause is the privilege of a long life. And to really take hold of our lives in menopause, we have to unlearn what society and the medical establishment has told us about menopause. This is why I've created this brand new course called Understanding Your Hormones and Managing Your Menopause. I want to show you how you can get on top of your menopause right now so that you can start to see it as the best time of your life. Now, this course is valued at $500 and is in the beta testing phase. And we're currently accepting applications for women to test it out for us at no charge in exchange for feedback and testimonials. But the best part is because you're a podcast listener, you can bypass the application process and go straight to the front of the line. To register right now, simply visit menopausemovement.com forward slash hormones and we can get started together right now. Remember, you can get started right now at no charge to you in exchange for feedback and testimonials when you go to menopausemovement.com forward slash hormones. And I'll see you inside the course. Thanks so much for being a part of the menopause movement. Thank you.